0: Welcome to the show. You are now part of the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed.
1: And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork.
0: And it's made up of three success pillars. People success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market.
1: You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it.
0: Gina, I am thrilled that we got to talk to our next interviewee. We met him at Celebrate, the Revenue Success Summit, which was our first annual conference. And he was a part of our panel, CRO panel, how top tier CROs build revenue teams. Is that right? That's right. Fact checking on the spot. What was cooler is I think that he's a sales guy who was previously the CRO over at HubSpot and rose through the ranks, uh, is very well known. And now he actually teaches at Harvard Business School, which I believe you went to.
1: I did. And he teaches a great class on sales, specifically sales and technology, which Rad. did not exist when I was there. Yeah. So I, <laughs> part of me wishes I could go back and take the class, but I am also very happy to be working. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll let
0: you crash course it. Um, I think it's cool, too, because in the interview, he talks about not just teaching at HBS, but teaching HBS a thing or two about sales and technology. And it sounds like he really raised the bar there for kind of like you said what they offer.
1: Exactly. And I think it's also just a trend that we're seeing that folks who are coming out of business school and graduate school in general realize the criticality of sales. And that's how their business is going to grow and succeed. It's not just about the strategy. It's not just about investing. You have to operate and execute extremely well.
0: Yeah, and, and that should help bring, you know, like a new breed of higher quality salespeople because a lot of people, myself included, kind of fell into sales and there wasn't necessarily a lot of like, um, you know, educational tracks at colleges to say, hey, here's how mm-hmm. to be great at sales. It was kind of like you go into business and then maybe you jump into marketing or maybe jump into sales. So uh, pretty exciting. Um, another thing that was really interesting is what he said. You know, he, he's the founder of Stage 2 Capital mm-hmm. and something that he focuses on is the go-to-market strategy, the type of coaching that not a lot of investors are giving, right? They give you cash, they give you some general kind of guidance, and I'll let him kind of talk more about it in an interview, but he said they lack a certain type of counsel.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the things that I really loved about meeting Mark um, was that he's super authentic, super humble, given Mm -hmm. the success that he's had across his various, you know, ventures Mm -hmm. and experiences, and even on stage in the panel, um, he was top notch. Like if you talk to any of the attendees, most of them ranked the CRO panel as their favorite session. <laughs> yeah, mine too. And they thought, uh, you know, Mark was just great on stage. So it was a pleasure to have him there at the event as well
0: yeah i got to hang out with him backstage and he is very cool like he's just a cool guy so you know some people walk in the room you're like this person's infinitely cooler than i'll probably ever be uh <laughs> that, that was mark he, he's a lot of confidence really cool guy uh, well cool let's dive into the interview and uh something to look out for is he said there's something that many investors lack Yes, lack, and that's a certain type of counsel. Let's uh, see what it is.
1: Hi, this is Sheena Badani with Gong, and I'm joined here with Mark Roberge, who is the founder of Stage 2 Capital. He's also on the faculty at Harvard Business School, which is my former alma mater as well. Um, And would love to, you know, first of all, thank you for joining us here at Celebrate, which is our first um, industry conference here at the beautiful SF Jazz San Francisco. You you this is great,
2: great conference, a lot of fun.
1: Glad you're enjoying it so far. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about the evolution of your career? You spent many years running sales at HubSpot, and now you are in academia and you're an investor. Mm. Um, what was part of that? You know, what was that decision making that was involved, and mm. how do you manage um, this? You know, kind of this new world now mm. outside of sales.
2: Geez, uh, everything was uh, so serendipitous. I started my career uh, as an engineer. Um, I studied engineering undergrad. I wrote code for the first two years of my career and then fell in love with entrepreneurship. This is back in the big bubble and bust. Mm -hmm. Um, Went to business school myself at MIT to like study entrepreneurship, started a bunch of companies, and um, met the founders of HubSpot when I was a student. So I joined as the fourth employee. Halligan was like, I just need you to sell. So that's how (laughs) I got into sales. And then just built the big team over eight, nine years and took it public. And I got very lucky that that was at a time where the older way of selling of just Mm -hmm. deploying expensive field sales teams there's very little crm adoption very little data Mm -hmm. shifted toward SaaS and inside teams where the salesperson was completely dependent on the crm so you had lots of data Mm -hmm. so now it walks in this like mit geek that um has lots of data for the first time in, in a sales org and you're able to innovate just Running revenue through a very data-driven mindset, so mm-hmm. got just super lucky that everything I'd done in my career up until that point was highly leverageable In you know, with with a bunch of peers, rethinking how sales could be run, and then um, I was really tired after that you know, nine or ten years. <laughs> I'm sure. I needed a break and was actually you know wrote a book about um, the the process, and then Harvard Business School approached your you know your great alma mater. Uh, me about building a sales class and joining the curriculum because so many students are interested in entrepreneurship. And geez, that sounded like a perfect fit for where I was going next, just wanting to give back and help the next generation of entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. um, as you know, all business schools look to HBS for curriculum, for cases, et cetera. So not only was it an opportunity to define how HBS teaches sales, but you know, help structure how all business schools, which is just such a humbling experience to Mm -hmm. be able to do and then i was helping a lot of startups along the way to stay fresh be on boards etc and a a vc at bessemer j Poe, approached me about starting a fund backed and run by vps of sales and marketing because Mm. that doesn't exist and there's just not the level of counsel around sales execution from the board that there is around financial strategy even product yeah and so i was like wow that that makes a lot of sense for the world and it makes a lot of sense for my life up until this point to help you found that. Mm-hmm. So that's how it's all kind of flowed.
1: I love uh, that trend of bringing like the go to market practitioners into both academia and into the investing world. Um, I think, you know, there's a to opportunity. I'm glad to see HBS mm-hmm. is bringing more mm-hmm. sales oriented classes, tech, tech mm-hmm. sales oriented classes into the curriculum. Um, I joke
2: with my students that, you know, listen, don't take my class unless you think acquiring customers is important. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes that sense. Everybody, all nine hundred. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so today in the keynote, you know, Amit talked about uh, revenue intelligence and how we're shifting uh, from this old way of operating based on opinions and gut feeling to this new world of operating based on facts and data. And that's definitely something that you talk about in your book. Mm. This is a theme of how you've operated your businesses. Tell me a little bit more about what that means to you. What does revenue intelligence sure. mean to you?
2: It, it, it goes back to the shift that I was you know, benefited from, mm-hmm. that we've gone from how do I get the data to what do I do with all this data? Mm-hmm. And we're still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And that's what I... I just, I, when I coach sales leaders and CEOs and when I go out and speak, it's like, listen, we underappreciate how quantifiable sales is. Yeah. Success and failure is very quantifiable. You cannot walk into a room of engineers and say, that right there is my best engineer by 7%. Like, you can't. <laughs> you can do that in sales. Yeah. And so to not leverage the data to help us predict mm-hmm. how to hire how to train how to coach how to compensate like all of this we have the opportunity to be data driven and so that's what revenue intelligence means like even we were on stage today talking about coaching we can quantify the effectiveness of a coach a manager mm-hmm. it's like you have a rep mm-hmm. their close rate from opportunity to, cl- to customer 17 percent. the average of the company is 34. Here's how we know if you're a good coach. Mm-hmm. I give you two months. Can you move the 17%? Right. Now, granted, that could be an issue with the hire, the rep, et cetera. But like time and time again, you have those statistical opportunities to know and quantify whether we're a good coach. And so that's, we're at the brink of like writing some crazy material yeah. on like revenue intelligence, which is so exciting. Yeah,
1: yeah, Definitely. So for new reps, new managers, new leaders who are stepping into this world of sales, customer success, mm-hmm. all things revenue, where they have access to data, what kind of feedback and advice would you give them?
2: Okay. Um, first off, like you kind of have to design big, start small. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't come out of the gate, especially if we're, I'm assuming you're either taking over a team that currently isn't that data-driven or you're starting a company that mm-hmm. from, from the ground up. Just start with something really basic, like four stages of the funnel. Um, you know, measure it by rep over every week, every month, every quarter, and then measure it so you can compare the reps, et cetera. And then as you build up that basic foundation, you're gonna start seeing patterns like, hey, why is why is this like call to opportunity rate low? Mm-hmm. And can we can we double click in there to get more data? to guide us. And as you double click here, there, et cetera, you'll start to build out a very robust landscape. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like kind of design big, start small. Don't like hide in a, in a room for six months and come out with this diamond of a uh, you know, dashboard, right. et cetera. It's just like, let's let's start it had incremental value.
1: Right, iterate, be yeah. agile. Exactly. Yeah, How, like things that we've learned in the engineering world, bring exactly. them to sales.
2: Totally. <laughs>
0: Alright everyone, in every episode we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. According to Forbes and CB Insights, 9 out of 10 startups fail and the number one reason is no product market fit. Companies in the information technology industry are at highest risk with a 63% failure rate. Part of that is the product, the features and functionality you need to achieve product market fit. The lesser-discussed aspect of product-market fit is the market side of things. This includes things like, is our positioning resonating with the market, and are we going after the right personas, and are we going after the right market sector? Experienced operators understand the two sides of the product-market fit coin. That is why we see more and more venture capital firms bringing on operating partners that can speak to the market fit. David Tetton, partner at FF Venture Capital, has analyzed the structure of VC firms and found some interesting results. That's why he compared traditional VC firms that are heavy on general partners and have fewer operating partners, those partners with deep experience in functional areas like marketing, business development, HR, etc., to VC firms that have flipped that model and have invested heavily in operating partners. He found that funds with the most developed operator models have the highest returns, above 20% IRR. LightBank, First Round Capital, and A16Z are notable examples of portfolio operators. In summary, having operating experience in your board helps de-risk your startup and increase odds of survival and ultimately success.
1: So you were just on the CRO panel, and I'm fascinated with the role of the CRO. It's a Mm -hmm. new, it's a new role. Um, you know, it's it's the evolution of taking the VP of sales and giving them more responsibility. You need additional skills to even be in that function. And actually, you don't even have to only come from sales to be the CRO. What advice would you have for people who aspire to be a CRO? What new skills do you think they need versus somebody who is a VP of sales today? Mm-hmm. Um, would love to hear about yeah, that. Yeah, so
2: just to level set, it is a, a title that's getting a little more standardized. It was... Yeah. It was described as a lot of different things. I think it primarily came out of the fact that you need to better align marketing, sales, and customer success through the customer journey. Mm-hmm. And that was the job of the CEO, unless you have a CRO who can align it. So I think mm-hmm. that's probably the purest definition. Yeah. Other drivers where you did see a lot of companies getting substantial revenue from non-human sources, like mm-hmm. freemium, et cetera. So that's not really sales, that's revenue. So that's, that, those are other pieces mm-hmm. there. So if we, I would say the first part of overseeing the whole go to market. And um, when you move into that role, just department alignment becomes critical. Yeah. And you don't see much of that when you're say a VP of sales, when you're CM, when you're CMO, when you're running customer success, it's very clear what your function is and like how to measure success. Mm-hmm. But once you get to the CRO, it's just much more of that leadership, strategic, you know, corporate governance perspective of like, how do you align very different roles? Yeah. And, you know, the the best CROs start with the buyer journey, right? Like sometimes you can get into a like an internal view where it's like, okay, here's what an MQL sh- should be defined as. And then here we're going to call them six times and we're going to close the customer and write something up in the CRM and then. We'll do a meeting to talk about the onboarding process. Like, hey, what's it feel like to be a customer Mm -hmm. going through that? Mm -hmm. And that's when like the great CROs shine is they're like, okay, let's start with the customer comes to the website. What do they see? What catches their eye? If they download this, what would they want to have happen? Right. And then if they do have a meeting with us, what would they want to talk about? And if they sign a contract, what do they want to do next? Yeah. You know what I mean? So- so that would be my advice: is is you know to to think it from that lens.
1: Right, makes sense. Uh, what are some of the big shifts that you're seeing as you've grown and developed in your sales career? Mm. And the market is different. The environment mm. is different. Uh, would love to hear a little yeah. bit about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you said it yourself when we were talking earlier about like the demands on customer experience and the empowered the empowered buyer, and that's definitely the pattern I'm seeing across the board, but especially in the the earlier stage growth environments is. In general, I think we as an entrepreneurial community over-index on top-line revenue growth Mm -hmm. and under-focus on customer success, value creation, and retention. And that's like the pattern as I've like, you know, I I dive in with like a company pretty deep like every month and I've done it like 20 of them over the years. And that's the one pattern that I see that either they rocket ship or they don't is like how consistent and quickly they're creating customer value and here in, in San Francisco I think they're branded as the aha moment it's like what what can you observe in the first 2 months of a customer's life cycle that if that occurs they will be a long-time customer mm-hmm. and if it doesn't they will probably churn but mm-hmm. right? i think slack did like 2000 team messages hubspot did 5 features in their platform of 25 used in the first 60 days i think dropbox was like sh- share one fi- file with one mm-hmm. in one folder with one person like it's unique to your value prop but like that to me is the first slide i want to see in the board deck um is like your retention and what percent of your customers you're getting to that moment in the first 60 days all the first slides are revenue but that revenue is an outcome of that important foundational step Mm -hmm. so that's the the big trend that i i think we need to improve as an entrepreneur community,
1: mm-hmm. and you can't even measure that if you're not capturing the data exactly. and the insights.
2: Exactly, that's that's the the most critical measure in our in our scale, and it's something that you're going to keep measuring as you start growing. Yeah, does that get compromised?
1: Definitely. You can't
2: wait till retention or churn blows up. That's churn blew up because of behavior you did a year ago, mm-hmm. right? So you've got to catch it really early.
1: Mm-hmm. And it probably ties to like the rise of the role of customer success Completely. and, you know, they're definitely intertwined.
2: Yeah. It's like you can say to customer success, your job is get revenue retention above 100%. It's hard for a 25-year-old CSM to conceptualize that, but you can say to them, hey, listen, what we said is get them using five features in the platform in the first 60 days. That's so much more actionable. Yeah, super right? tangible. So so it is very tied to that that function.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Mark. It was a pleasure to chat with you today, and I hope you can get back to the conference and enjoy some of the next upcoming sessions. I look forward to
0: it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Every week, we leave you with a micro action. It can be as simple as something to think about or an action you can put into play today. 2020 planning is upon us, and that often means new initiatives, new pricing models, new pitch decks, new technologies. If you have a new sales motion, what are you trying to accomplish? And just as importantly, are your sellers aligned with you on that goal? Salespeople often know their clients better than anyone in the organization, and this shift might cause friction if they don't understand the why behind it. Are you trying to gain market share? Looking to better align your narrative with the future of your product? Whichever it is, equip your team with the intel they need to have confidence in going to market with your new initiative. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday.
1: And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there.
0: And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.
1: And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal@gong.io.